0: so good morning and welcome to the faith and the fast life podcast uh we're so excited to have matt klein and restored community with us today this is ministry and matt has an incredible story that he's going to share with us today um for the listeners as we jump on this as this uh as this episode impacts you don't hesitate to share it please jump on follow and subscribe to our episodes um and uh give us a rating. We've we've found out recently that that has so much power in getting this message heard more. The more you rate it, the more you like it, and subscribe to it. So we encourage all of our listeners to do that. And without further ado, let's jump into Matt Klein and the Restored Community Matt, welcome. Thank you for being here this morning.
1: Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. I followed what you've been doing for for a few months, at least. And I, I just, I love the ministry that you have, which is, our ministry is unique, but your ministry is unique too. And I think it's just so good what you're doing. So I'm pumped to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you for that, man. It's, uh, God has a purpose for all of us, right? And so many people need to be reached. So what you're doing, yeah. what we're doing, what everybody's doing with ministry, and we encourage others to do as well, like get out there and reach somebody today, right? That's, uh, you never know who needs to. To be loved on, or needs to hear the gospel, that's um, right. and that's what it's all about. But man, we're here. We, uh, you know, been following you, doing some amazing things with restored community, and and uh, we're going to get into that. But man, let's hear the story of Matt Klein. Let's let's uh, tell us about you.
1: Sure. Yeah. I was I was uh, five years old, and well, actually, before I was five, I was probably three years old, and my parents had put me in front of. Hockey night in Canada up here in Canada and every Saturday night there's a couple of NHL games on and I'd have my water bottle on the couch and and every time I, the camera would show a player drinking water on the TV, I'd drink my water too and I just always wanted to play wanted to play hockey and so I ended up being pretty good right from, 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 from a young age and uh, I always played the top level uh, with older kids. Uh, either a year older, two years older. uh, I'd always play the top level. I'd always be one of the top guys. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I joke and say, I never even played with Lego growing up. I just played hockey video games. I played hockey at the rink. I played hockey with friends. I played hockey in my garage, in my basement, on the street, everything was hockey. And so I came from a family of pastors, my dad's a pastor, and lots of my uncles and grandparents—they're pastors. Everybody's a pastor, and so growing up, people would say, "Like, are you going to be a pastor growing up?" Like, no, I'm going to be a hockey guy. I'm going to be a hockey player. And so, long story short, I was—I was, I was uh, 14 years old, and and coming into where you get drafted into playing junior hockey, and uh, and the top level here, junior, is the WHL, the Western Hockey League. And and so agents started pursuing me. And, and I didn't really know that that was going to happen, but they started, you know, following my parents in a parking lot uh, was the first one. And then they'd come to my games and want to meet with me after and take me out for dinners and stuff. And so I wasn't the only one. A lot of the, all the other top guys in Western Canada had the same thing going on. But, um, but that started happening. And so these agent, agents were saying, like, you're going to play pro one day. Uh, we don't know at what age you'll you'll get there, what level, but you'll play pro for sure. And so there's a draft to the WHL when you're 14 or 15. And I was uh, I was picked 19th in the first round, 19th out of you know all the kids in Western Canada and Western U.S. So Washington State, Montana, California, Oregon, the four Western provinces in Canada. I was 19th in the draft and uh, and ended up playing junior uh a couple of years later uh in a in a town here called red deer and in red deer it's a pretty esteemed program the the coach the owner the general manager he he's uh, from the Sutter family which hockey fans know the Sutter family is like hockey royalty there were six brothers well actually there were seven brothers but six of them played in the nhl and so it's a cool thing to play in red deer it was one of the top uh i guess highest recognized teams we weren't good we our team wasn't one of the top teams but as far as recognition and the program like they're like man if you could play for Sutter that'd be great and so I went there and I ended up in my draft year um, being ranked uh, about mid-draft at the start of the year they said I'd probably be drafted you know third or fourth round out of seven rounds in the draft and my agent after game like you're going to be drafted we just don't know where and uh, and after I uh, after Christmas that year I really just dropped the ball I was emotionally immature I faced some turmoil didn't know how to handle it and so I didn't play well by the end of the year I was kind of on the bubble to be drafted and it didn't happen which I kind of was expecting not to be drafted and it ended up going that way but I got traded that year in that summer in a high-profile trade in our junior league Um, There was a guy who was a first round pick in the NHL. His name is Martin Hansel and he's just retired in the last year or so from the NHL after 15 years playing, but he was a, he was a kind of a highly esteemed guy. He only wanted to play for a few teams. And so he was holding out. Uh, not coming to the league until one of these teams traded for him. And so for a year or two, everybody is like, man, like, where's Hansel going to go? Where's Hansel going to go? Well, I ended up being traded for him. And so it was finally this big thing, like Martin Hansel got traded for Matt Klein. And so I went over to, to a town in BC called Chilliwack by Vancouver. And I was... I was the first line center. Our coach, I remember, brought me and my wingers into our into the coach's office early in the season and said, "You know, you guys, we're gonna you guys are gonna run the team for the next two years. You guys are gonna be our go to guys." And nine games into the year, I hadn't scored yet. <laughs> I was feeling pressure. I had so many chances. I had a few assists, and I, and then I got hit by a guy who was about six seven. He was a big guy. He was a clean hit. But I remember the feeling in my head was so – the pain was so extreme lying on the ice that my I was kicking my legs. And it just felt like my head was just pounding and like it was 100 pounds. I had so much pain. And and I didn't know it, but that was the last time I ever played hockey. I had headaches for six years after that. And for especially the first year, really even struggled to walk upstairs without having to lie down after and so at that point I had a huge identity crisis because all I had ever known was hockey.
0: right. So as you're coming up to those ranks and your, your family's all
1: pastors
0: and uh, other hockey players in your family?
1: Yeah, there's hockey players, not high level, but my dad played hockey and my grandpa yeah. and so there's a few. okay
0: So you know we you always hear the PK thing, right and uh, yeah. you know it seems like PK is often often stray as you're coming up through this, are you walking with the Lord or is it, uh, uh, what was the relationship like with Jesus at that point?
1: Yeah, it's funny. You know, I I always was a Christian for sure. I remember when I was six years old accepting the Lord. And I think that he gave me a cool experience, which he doesn't have to give everybody and he doesn't. But for me, when I was six, I asked Jesus into my heart and I physically felt something. Like I, I physically felt something in my chest and it was just the way of the Lord saying to a six-year-old boy, "Like I'm in you, I, I I live in your heart now," and so it was always very real. And I knew that He was in me. I never did rebel. I never became a party animal. But at the same time, I would always hear people in church talking about a relationship with Jesus, and I was always confused. What is this relationship? with Jesus. Like God is like, he's something in the sky. He's way up there. How could you hear his voice? So I never understood relationship with Jesus, but when people would ask me like, why don't you drink? Why don't you swear? Why don't you have sex? These things. I would just kind of go quiet. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I didn't want to just come across like, well, Christianity is just about rules and following rules and you can't do things. But to, to be honest, I didn't know more than that. And so being a Christian was just, don't go and party, don't chase girls, don't swear. Um, And then I, and then the other hard thing for me was I had this addiction to pornography. um, But I didn't want to let people know like hockey teammates, friends. I didn't want them to know that the Christian guy also watched porn. And so I didn't want to open up there, but then in church, I didn't want to open up because just the shame of watching porn. And so, that was that kind of sums up my relationship, if you say, with Jesus, even though it wasn't much of a relationship, more just following rules.
0: Right. Yeah. So rules. It was the religion of it, not the relationship of it. That's right. right.
1: Which we we talk about a lot on the on
0: the podcast, relationship, not religion. That's right. Okay. So so we get into juniors. You take the big hit. Uh, who's the guy that hit you? Do you remember?
1: Yeah. I'm pretty sure his name is Ryan Gillies and he probably doesn't even know I wouldn't want him to know that he ended somebody's dreams.
0: <laughs> well, it it may have ended your dreams, right, but God had a bigger plan. So so how, tell us about that struggle. You know, tell us about as you come off of uh, you know, obviously this is everything you ever wanted to do. This is where you were going. This is, you know, you're overcoming yeah. the immaturity. You're going to get drafted. And now the lights go out
1: uh, and you struggle. So
0: like what's next is, I mean, obviously huge identity crisis. Tell us, tell us more.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, the Lord is so faithful and it's a good story that he wrote. Um, In the NHL draft, there's three years you can be drafted. And so the first year when I was on the bubble, it didn't happen. But the second year being that I was a top guy on my team, I thought, man, I, I got more opportunity. There's a couple more years I can, Play well and get drafted, and so that was kind of my where I, where I was at. But when I got hit, um, I didn't realize at the time that I was never going to play again. But five days after I got hit, we had a team chaplain, and that's why I love that you're a chaplain of a junior team because I was so impacted by my my chaplain. His name is Mike Vanderquack, and and he gave a talk. He would ch- chat with us every couple of weeks to the group, and he gave a talk. And I just remember him saying. You know, you don't need to know what's going on in your life right now. God is working in your life. He has a plan. He is with you. But it might not make sense and you might not even see it. But two years from now, you'll look back and you'll be able to see exactly what God is doing. And I remember him saying that and it just sunk in like it just hit me. And I was like, I don't know because I had pain. I didn't know the hockey was going to be over, but I had pain and I had headaches. And I wanted to be on the ice. And so I was going, what's going on? And that kind of just sustained me through the year um, of of sitting in the stands, watching the guys practice. And I couldn't be out there. They'd shoot pucks off the glass and the noise of it was too much for me to handle. I had to go to the top of the stands because I couldn't be close. And I remember just sitting in the stands going, man, God, you're with me. God, you've got peace for me. This peace doesn't make sense. And so It was about a year after the injury that I finally realized that I was never going to play again. But through the course of that year, I had started picking up the Bible, not because I felt guilty to read the Bible, because I hadn't read it for a few months and thought that I should, but I read the Bible because I went, there's good life-giving stuff in here. This is the God who's given me peace that doesn't really make sense. When everybody's feeling sorry for me, that must suck. That must be so hard for you to not play hockey. And it was. But God lessened the pain because I just knew his peace. And so he started in the midst of my rock bottom, sitting on the couch for a year, not being able to play. He, he met me there and he started just teaching me what it was to put my life in his hands and experience a peace that I had never known. And so he's so faithful. And I just always say now, like if I had to give up hockey and playing in the NHL and all of that fame and recognition to know Jesus... I mean it's a no-brainer. The life with Jesus that I have is just so much better than than all these guys that I know in the NHL. I don't envy them because I have Jesus and and he's the best.
0: Yeah. And that's uh that's a powerful statement for especially for the young kids coming up playing juniors, you know, playing peewees for that matter, that that yeah. have that yeah. vision to to realize and to recognize um would you say that as you were playing through juniors, um, obviously you're, you didn't have a great relationship, but did, uh, did the religion part of it and and the rules help keep you out of some, some sticky situations that uh, may have been yeah. a tragedy?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so faithful or, or so faithful. I'm so thankful for that, that, you know, the Lord has shown me different pictures and, and visions of stuff of, of my life in those years. And he's just said, like, he showed me like I was with you in those times and you didn't recognize it, but I was with you. And I know that he was keeping me safe. And so the convictions that I always had about saving sex till marriage, not partying, not swearing, these different things, they were convictions, but the Lord really did use that to keep me safe. Um, I remember our rookie party was, uh, was a chance for all the vets to get the, 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 rookies drunk and have rookies do things, but they knew that Kleiner didn't drink. And so the vets had gotten instructions from the coaches that if rookies didn't want to do it, they didn't have to do it. And so I remember just sitting there at parties, watching people party, but knowing that I could still have fun. I could still have conversations with my teammates, but I didn't have to engage in that behavior. Um, I'm really so thankful for those convictions, even though it wasn't necessarily based in a relationship, the convictions definitely kept me safe.
0: That's good. That's uh, so, so the relationship wasn't there, but the conviction of it all was there. So he's, he's still with you through that. So the big hit happens, you're sitting in the stands, uh, you can't even hardly listen. You, I mean, when did you realize that you weren't going to get to go on? Like how long did that process take?
1: Yeah. So I got hurt in October. And when I came home in the summer,
0: what year was this, by the uh, way,
1: this was 2006, 2006, October 14th, I got hurt. And, and I would always just say to, say to the guys, you know, I feel like I'm a week away. I feel like I'm a week away and a week would go on and I'd say, I feel like I'm a week away because I never, I didn't have like a brain bleed. I didn't have this huge injury where I had to go to the hospital. They were just, it was just constant headaches, just consistent headaches. And I felt like eventually it was going to go away. Um, but I guess it was nine months after the injury, I was seeing a, a guy here in Edmonton where I live. Um, there was a naturopath. And I, I saw about 18 or 19 different doctors over the course of a couple of years. And so he was just one of them. But he said to me, he's like, you know, we're going to work on you. We're going to get you healthy. You're going to be able to start training about the end of August. And I just knew that when he said that, that the end of August was going to be too late. I had gotten so out of shape not being able to move for a year. The the training camp was going to be open by then, going to be going on. They were going to find other guys to replace me. And so I remember driving home. It was about nine months after the injury, and I cried. (laughs) And then I feel emotional thinking about it because I cried thinking like 13 years of my life. Has been dedicated to playing hockey and it's all I ever thought about. And and now I know that I'm never gonna play again. And and I went to training camp that year, um, still holding on to a hope that I was gonna be able to play. <laughs> and
0: so I, I, I'm gonna interrupt for one second. Yeah. I love the fact that you're showing emotion right now. Um if this is this is such a God thing. Is it next week's episode? is actually going to be about men and feelings. Hmm. We're going to spin something different off right now. So being able to show emotion in, in this podcast, like this was something that impacted your life deeply. And I think it truly shows how human and how Christ like you are, that you're able to show this emotion with it. man. I, I love it. Yeah. it's Good.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. It's true. I mean, um, my my sister in law said to her two year old a few months ago, "Real men don't cry." And I said, "No, real men cry, buddy. You can cry. You can have emotion. Yep. God God has the most extreme emotion <laughs> that we could imagine, and we're made in His image. Yep. It's so healthy to cry, and yep. and it's it's funny for me that that I am, but it shows that it was really an intense time in my life, and. When you've dedicated your life to something and it gets stripped away from you, you can't just suppress that. You've got to feel what you're feeling. You've got to be aware and be able to share and be able to talk with people about what you're feeling. Because I know I'm not the only athlete who's gotten a career ended uh, and taken from them because of injury or because of some circumstance. Maybe they're just, maybe we just haven't made it. Maybe we're not good enough. And we play our last game and realize like, man, I'm not good enough and I can't make it. And that dream that we've pursued for so long, we've got to be able to identify what that's doing in our heart, like how it's affecting us. Because if we don't, we just kind of live hard. Like our our heart gets hard when we're not living from a soft heart. And so a couple of years ago, there was a documentary that was done on my life and and they were trying to push me for emotion and I, <laughs> I wasn't really going there and I was kind of resistant. And they were saying, no, I want, we want emotion. Like we want to tell a good story. You got to have emotion in the story. And and so they kept prodding and pushing and prodding and pushing and I was resistant. And finally they broke me. And I'm probably going <laughs> to show emotion again, but they were asking me about that last time that I was ever at my, uh, in Chilliwack with my team and and I lived with a roommate who I really loved. We were best buddies and we'd have the team over and, and we had great times together. And so that next year after I got hurt, I went back to training camp and training camp ended. And I just was still struggling with the pain. And so I knew that, that I was never going to come back. And, and I remember so clearly the moment in my billets driveway where they were standing there and and I hugged my roommate goodbye and I knew that that was going to be it and and I was going home to who knows what but what I did know was that I was going home to parents who who had given up everything like they sent me away when I was 14 to a boarding school not because I was bad but because it was it was it was a hockey haven and they sacrificed so much and i was going home to parents who wanted to see their son succeed who had sacrificed so much and i felt not from them but from me i felt that i was disappointing them and and so these guys are pushing me in this documentary and this was 14 years after the injury and and all of a sudden i had this emotion like burst forth for the first time and I realized that some of these disappointments I had never recognized before. I had never verbalized them. I had never gotten them out. And so they had just been in me, but it's so easy to say, yeah, I got hurt and I never played hockey again. Whatever your circumstance is, I had this dream and I didn't get to, to fulfill it, but what did that do to you? Like, what's the heart? Uh, what did that do in your heart? How did that make you feel? Are you willing to show emotion? Are you willing to get vulnerable? It's obviously something that I'm still growing in, but I, that it was such a powerful thing for me when these guys are pushing me for emotion because I was realizing like there's been stuff that I've carried that I haven't communicated. Even if I've thought it, I haven't gotten it out. And it's so, so important to do that. So thank you for interrupting me yeah. and highlighting the importance of emotion because it really is important, especially when there's been vast disappointment in our life. Yep, absolutely.
0: So now that my interruption took us down that road, uh, keep going on that though. So I mean, you 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 have that moment at the billet house. You know, that's kind of the, that's kind of it. That's when it sunk sunk in. What happens next? You go home. Where do you go from there?
1: Yeah, I went home and. When I was younger my dad and I went to a to a store, a hockey shop to get some hockey equipment and he talked to the the owner and and I said, "Do you know him?" and he said, "He's the business owner." And so just a little seed in my life. I went, "If I don't play hockey, I want to be a business owner." And so I went home still trying to figure out my headaches and dealing with medical people and doctors and chiropractors and so many different the things going on, but I just turned my attention kind of to what kind of business can I run? And and I had lots of different ideas. And my mom's kind of entrepreneurial in her thinking. And so we'd, you know, we we'd try to establish some ideas of what we could do. But at the same time, when I didn't have purpose, when I was just kind of throwing out ideas and not knowing where I was going to go, I got established in a church for the first time. Like when I was a kid, my dad was a pastor, I was established in that church, but I left home when I was 14 to pursue hockey. So now I'm 19 and I never have had friends and a community around me where people my age love Jesus. And the, the confidence that, they, that these people had in who they were was so different than I had ever experienced See, in hockey, I always thought that I was a humble guy because I wasn't as cocky, just to put it bluntly, as my teammates were. But when I came out of that environment and I was around actually, you know, like, real humble people, I realized, I'm like, man, this, this arrogance of, man, people are probably blessed when they're in a room with me. <laughs> I've been signing autographs since I was 14. Um, this arrogance, it was it was in me. And so it started to break me down a little bit. And being around these beautiful, Jesus-loving, humble people that weren't trying to put on a face and be cool for people, and you know, get attention because they they had the best chirps and they know how to make fun of people. It was like these people who could just be genuine. It started just changing my life, and so I didn't necessarily know where I was gonna go. I had these business ideas, but the Lord just brought these people into my life that really showed me a new way of living that I had never known, and so. I started then growing in my relationship with Jesus and really just learning about who I was because my identity had always been, I'm a hockey player, but our our identity has to be in the one who made us. The creator of any product is the one who knows the function of that product best. The creator of the world, God made me. And so he's showing me now, Hey, this is how I've made you to live. Not having a face, not trying to look good and sign autographs and get your value from that. I want you to understand that when I break you, I can then show you who I, who I am in you and who I've made you to be. Mm. And so it was a beautiful process that I went through in my early twenties of really just learning relationship with Jesus, the thoughts that he had over me and where I get my value from, uh, which is ultimately in him.
0: That's awesome. So you, so, um, you're home now. You're diving deep in a church. You're you're building relationship with Jesus as well as relationship with uh, like-minded believers. So iron yeah. sharpening iron. Yeah. You know what? Uh, what about the medical side of that? How are the headaches doing? Is things getting better? Are they finding what the root of it is?
1: Yeah. So I was 18 when I got hurt, and I had headaches until I was 24. And what ended up happening was was I went to a, a certain kind of chiropractor it was called a, it's called a nuca n u c c a chiropractor um, they just do things a little bit differently and then they paired me up with a dentist and the dentist gave me a mouth jaw that worked on my spine and so i i what i think is that the concussion Uh, As far as the brain damage, if you want to say it, not quite brain damage, but the impact on the brain, I think that that probably subsided early on, but my spine was crooked at the top. It had bent. And so my jaw was out of line and this mouth guard that the chiropractor and the dentist teamed up on, um, it actually realigned my jaw. And so when the chiropractor would work on my spine, the, the mouth guard would keep it straight so it wouldn't go back to a bent shape. And so that ended up taking the headaches away when I was 24, um, and and it was such a relief, man. I mean, now I get headaches sometimes, and I think, how did I do this for six years? But it really did limit me and, and cripple me in terms of what I could do, and just even my 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 mental health. Like I couldn't, you can't be as happy as you want to be when you've got headaches. And so it was a really big relief, obviously, when that went away. So
0: back to the to the injury, was that like your? first concussion
1: i had a concussion and this is actually a good point that you're leading me into i had a concussion two years before this but it was in preseason, and this was when i was 16 when you're 16 in the whl it's the first year that you can play uh all year and being a first round pick like if you're a first round pick you should make it when you're 16 years old well, I was not having a good camp. I was not having a good training camp preseason. I was not playing well. And so I got hurt. Um, I got a concussion in preseason. And so at that time, there was so few, there, there was so little understanding around concussions. They thought like, you know, concussions, you're out a week, if it's bad, maybe two. And so I was out now two and a half weeks and I had still, I was still having headaches. And I remember the guys kind of bugging me and chirping me like, Hey, what's going on? Like what? Like two and a half weeks. Why are you, why aren't you out on the ice yet? And so I felt this pressure being like, Oh, I'm 16 first round pick. I better get out there. I'm out longer than, you know, a standard protocol for concussions. And so I didn't tell anybody, but I played that entire year with headaches. Uh, Every game I had headaches and, I think that that probably made me more susceptible later on when I got hit again a couple of years later. Um, But just that pressure that I felt, it's so real. Athletes feel that pressure, but you got to be true to yourself. You got to be real and be fair to yourself because if we make decisions like that in sport for a year, for a game, like it's going to impact the rest of your life potentially.
0: If you make a decision like that in life, you know, how often in life, not even with a professional sport, but – you know, the peer pressure of uh, drinking because everybody else is drinking or, you know, any of those things. You know, I mean, as you get into your older life, uh, you know, whether it's drinking or drugs or or gambling, you know, maybe uh, a a person's betting on the game and and, uh, whatever it might be. Like, that's a life thing, right? Like being true to yourself of of back to the conviction that you spoke of, right? You know, listening to what the Holy Spirit's telling you what, what what are they saying? What's your, that old gut instinct, right? They, they say that the gut instinct is usually the right, the right choice. It. Well, often I think that, uh, in my opinion, that gut instinct is actually the Holy Spirit saying, hey, That's right. <laughs> listen to me, I'm steering you in the right direction. So, 16, you didn't really listen to it. I was just curious because I, I have a, a friend who's um, played for the Avalanche, um, Scott Parker, yeah, and obviously Parks has uh some major CTE issues and and yeah, major, major head injuries and stuff and uh what a great great guy. I was just curious cuz you hear his story and you know he had several of them and that was before they were really tracking it. Wow. So I was curious, you know. Cause now I watch the boys on the Bulls team, right? Like and I mean concussion protocols pretty intense nowadays. Like yeah. at times yeah. I, I mean if I'm honest at times I look at it and go Wow, are they over the top? Like, how many times did yeah. I get knocked out as a kid nobody said anything? Like, they just...
1: I know. I think so. it's over at the top. You look in the NHL and it's like, man, you get, like, a little bump in the head and you're out out of the game. Like, it, it's it's yeah. over the top for sure, but it's probably better that way. I don't know. Yeah,
0: better better than worse. So I was just curious. So, so six years it took you to kind of overcome that uh, headache stuff and a chiropractor... I come from a family of chiropractors. My uncle and my grandfather were both chiropractors, so it's oh, kind go. of it's cool to hear that they, they helped. Cause I, I do believe that a balanced body is a healthy body and that's absolutely. Uh, and that's cool. So, so now 24 years old, you finally get over the headaches and and where do we go next?
1: Yeah. So I, I had run a couple labor companies, uh, painting and window washing and, and my dream was always to be in real estate. So I was networking lots and I bought my first place when I was 21 as an investment. and, And, uh, and so that was kind of the dream to be, to be a business guy and to be financially independent and to have assets working for me. And, and, uh, I mean, who wouldn't want it really, (laughs) but that's where, where all of my attention was at. And so I was, um, I was just about 26 and, and I remember this night where I had been out late with friends and I was, you know, it was about 3 a.m. I came home and I was going to pick my parents up early in the morning from the airport. So I just didn't go to sleep. And I was up, up, uh, just sitting on my couch in my living room. And, and I always describe it like this. Like I, I got to know Jesus on a deeper level when I was 18, when I was hurt. But then when I was 26, almost 26, he took me to yet another level. And there's always just more of the Lord that, that, that we can experience and that we can know. And so I hadn't had a lot of really powerful, intimate or even supernatural experiences in my life. And I'd heard stories, but but I was almost 26 and I was sitting on this couch and it was four in the morning. So maybe some people think I was hallucinating, but but I, for about five years to this point, I always had thought, you know, I, I've had to struggle with pornography. I want to... I want to start something when I'm a big business guy, financially independent, not working. I want to start something like AA, but for porn in the church, that was what I would always think. And so I'm sitting on this, this um, on my couch and literally, I don't know how to describe it other than to say the presence of God came into my room and over my right shoulder. uh, I don't know if it was an angel or Jesus himself, it was invisible, but I knew a presence was there. And the Lord just said to me, Hey, you know what? You want to start when you're older. I want you to start that now. And I said, now, and he said, yeah, start that now. And I said, but that means giving up all my dreams, my business dreams, my, my mentors, my, my relationships. And the Lord just said, yes, now. And so I just started on this journey of how can I start a ministry and, and uh, learning about pornography, learning about helping people. And so it was another life change, but the first thing that the Lord did was brought me into a deeper relationship with him where I started learning his voice and getting a passion for the Bible and learning scripture and and uh and before there was ever fruit from my life, he brought me into intimacy with him in a new way which is very biblical and I didn't know it at the time, but it's very real.
0: Yeah, so so 26 years old at this point, right? Yeah. Big aspirations, big gonna be a big bad businessman and God says, but wait <laughs> like so often. I <laughs> love it because oh man, I, I'm i so bad at quoting verse, but uh you know, we we make our plans, but God establishes our steps, right? That's and, right. Uh, um I can't remember what verse it is, but some somebody's listening knows exactly what verse that is right now. Uh, yeah. but God changes directions and now we're leading into this so uh, tell us more about restored restored community
1: restored yeah restored community restored underscore community is the is the instagram restored ministries is the organization and um man it it the lord has been so graceful i remember that first year and a bit just Learning God's voice, I had such a passion for Him. I just wanted to go home and be in my prayer closet. I just wanted to go home and and read the Bible, and I just spend so so long with Him. Um, guy got mentors to teach me, like how do you how do you you know know Jesus? Like how do you get to know Him? How do you worship Him? And and that was everything. But at the same time, I felt this guilt inside of me, like like I'm not impacting people, Jesus. Like you've told me to you know, free the captives, like get people out of addiction. Like I'm not really seeing that fruit in my life. And so it was over a year after I had first got this, this call. And, um, and I remember I was speaking at this, this men's breakfast, but it was on Valentine's day. So they brought their wives and I was single. So it was just a funny dyna- dynamic for me, but I was speaking about that fruit comes from intimacy. And so, Fruit in marriage or intimacy in marriage will lead to fruit, but also just intimacy with Jesus will lead to fruit. And so I remember as I'm speaking, I'm probably about halfway through and I just sense the Lord say to me, Matt, do you see what I've done through you? I've been bringing you into intimacy with me. So the fruit will come. You can just chill, like relieve yourself of this guilt. And so uh, that was such a cool, crucial moment for me in my journey uh, where the Lord just brings this peace in again. But a couple of years later, uh, I had been working under a guy through in ministry, um, just kind of learning the ropes. How do you do ministry? How do you fundraise? How do you, uh, you know, how do you, how do you lead things? And so a couple of years of working under a guy, I just felt was the Lord was leading me to the right time to start Restored Ministries. And so we started offline, uh, doing workshops, doing conferences locally Uh, in Western Canada here, um, meeting with people one-on-one, leading some groups in my house or in different guys' houses. That's where I started. And um, a few months before COVID hit the world, the Lord had been putting it on my heart. It was in November 2019 where I started kind of feeling drawn to developing an online program that was really interactive and had a lot of support for people. And so I started building that in February 2020, which was a month before everything lo- got locked down with COVID, and so I look back, I'm like, the Lord's timing was in that. He's so cool how He does things. And so I had been building this online program, and in in June uh, of 2020, we went online, and now we're we're 80 online. We still do offline, we, we you know things, programs in churches, but but a lot of what we do is online. And so there's so much help for men in addiction to, to any sexual vice, not just porn help for women. There's help for wives of, of addicted husbands. Uh, We're just trying to restore the church back to sexual health, restored ministry is trying to restore the church back to sexual health and, and lead people in, in really it's a discipleship process where if somebody's stuck in addiction, if somebody's stuck in sin, I like to say it's evidence that we don't fully know who we are in Christ. We don't fully know our God-given identity. We don't fully know the love of God if we're if we're living in sin, and so we want to restore people back to living in their full God-given identity. Which in First Peter four one it says that if you arm yourself with the attitude of Christ, that sin will just cease in your life. And so we don't have to spend so much time like trying to not sin, trying to not do this, trying to you know get this habit out of my life let's learn who we are in God. Let's arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ. Let's learn the love of the father and how to bring that into the dark times, how to bring that into temptation, how to bring that into when you're feeling this urge to act out or to escape something in your life, how can you bring the attitude of Christ and the love of God into that moment? And when people do that, it's so amazing to see like, like 30 year addictions vanish in a month. And And these guys, a lot of them have been a year, year and a half free of their addiction. And it didn't even have to take long for them when they changed their approach from trying to get free of sin to now all of a sudden training themselves in how to think like God and how to experience the love of the Father in those times. And so it's transformational and it's it's so, so much fun just to be a part of the journey for people.
0: That's awesome. So I know like when you were talking about your story earlier and you're talking about juniors and we know you didn't... uh didn't drink you didn't smoke but you had mentioned pornography was a was a thing for you back then that was maybe your vice or whatever we want to call it when did you realize that it was a problem in your life like when 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 did when did the, the first, aha moment happen
1: yeah my friend showed it to me when i was 11 and i remember being super intrigued but super appalled at the same time um but i guess the intrigue was stronger than the, then how I, then how appalled I was and so I went home and I started searching it I was 11 and immediately I knew it was wrong immediately I wanted out but I was just so intrigued and curious and just wanted it and so it's very common for people where there's that that curiosity and there's the excitement and there's the dopamine release release in the brain that makes you feel good and makes you want to go back to it when you don't feel good because the release feels so good. And so there's, there's that part of it, but then there, it's very common for people to experience what I felt that there's this, this guilt. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do this. Um, I never wanted to, wanted to be addicted to porn. Um, but I remember always thinking I'm for sure going to be done by the time I'm married. And, and I remember I was 21 and I was watching pornography and I had this thought, like if I'm wanting to be done by the time I'm married, there's gotta be a last time. And so I just closed the computer and I, and I thought this is it. I'm not going to date a girl until I'm porn free for a year. And so it was almost two and a half years went and I never, I never watched porn. I was, I hardly ever got tempted to be honest. It wasn't even a part of my life. And in that time frame this was where I had grown in the Lord a little bit, but not to the degree that I did when I was 26. And so I had not yet known how to give God credit for things or welcome him into the hard things in my life. And so I just thought I'm porn free now. Like I made a good decision. I'm going to be free for a year before I date a girl. I made a good decision. I took more of the glory and the credit. And so when I was 23, 24, I fell back into it and I fell worse than ever. Like it was, it was constant at this point. It was every day, twice a day, uh, for, for another two and a half years. And I would pray in this time, like, like God, I had this thing that was strong enough for me to quit. Like I didn't want it to be in my mind's eye when I was dating a girl. Why is that not strong enough? Like give me something that's so strong that that is like an anchor for me to quit. And, and at the same time, I'd be praying like, God, I want to be used by you. I want to impact people all around the world. And 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 I just felt like I couldn't because of this addiction. And I was in a church service one time. And, and I was in worship, but I was sitting down in this worship set. And I just felt like the Lord whispered to me. And he said, Matt, I want to use you, but you've got to get pure. Those were the words that I heard. And I... I thought that when God said, get pure so that I can use you, I thought that what he was saying was, if you've got sin in your life, I can never use you. We're all broken vessels, though. He can work through anybody. But what he was actually saying to me was, I need you to get pure in your heart, in your mind. I need you to pursue intimacy with me, which will lead to purity, because through intimacy with me, you'll get, you'll get pure, but I'll also be able to use you and work through you. And so, these two prayers that he that I was praying, like God, give me something that's strong enough to quit, and I want to be used by you, God. He answered that in one go, and and really just trained, changed my life. And so I got free of porn, and it was shortly after that that um, that he called me into into doing the ministry.
0: Yeah, man, that's profound. So it's it's a it was a struggle for quite some time, and even after being a Christian, becoming a Christian, I think that's a that's important for our listeners to understand. Like you said, we'd, we're we all broken people. We're all sinners. And that was, for me, coming to know Jesus and, and accepting him into my heart was when uh, my pastor told me that. You know, I had this view, um, you know, I guess maybe it was the Catholic view from my parents of the 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 priest up on the, you know, at the pulpit, and his robe was better than me right uh, and i uh, kind of carried that with me for a long time and it's important for the listeners to understand that we're all sinners we all fall short um, and that that pornography is uh is real and is a sin and is uh is easily be addicted to that that release of dopamine from your brain is just like what you get from that drug or those other things it's uh it's natural so Obviously you're the expert in this field. Um I would love to hear the biblical side of pornography. Of all of all that's wrong with it. Of what what the Bible says and if that does that question make sense?
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean Jesus in Matthew 5 when he's talking about um adultery, he he talks about he he actually uses the word Greek or the Greek word porneia. And so you know, if you look with lustful intent upon a woman, you're, you're committing pornea. And so pornea is, is all forms of sexual immorality. There's porn, there's, there's fantasy, there's adultery, there's, uh, there's masturbation. There's all these different forms of sexual immorality. And so God wants us to be free of all of that. And so, um, you know, one thing that the Lord, is just to be transparent, one thing that the Lord has been saying to me lately is, do you, like, do you believe that I can lead you into a life that's totally free of fantasy, like free of sexual fantasy? Like you can be free of porn, free of masturbation, but like if these sexual fantasies come sometimes that are unhealthy, like there's fantasies that are good within marriage, but but if it's unhealthy, there's a lustful intent, like can you be free of that? And so even in my own life, he's kind of you know raising the bar on that right now but um but God wants us to be free and it's not because he he thinks that we're that we're bad when we're in this stuff it's because he knows the plan for us but more than that he loves us and he wants us to be in peace he wants us to experience the fullness of his joy and so when we're stuck in bondage, he knows that we don't experience peace we don't have. fullness of his joy. We're not living in love. And so he's like desperately trying to free, free, free us from the bondage because he loves us, not because he thinks that we're bad. He knows that we're broken. He made us. He made us to be incomplete so that he could fill us. And so he knows that we're incomplete. He knows we're broken. But back to your question, what does he say about this stuff? Biblically, what does he say? Well, pornography is kind of self-explanatory. Most people know that that's incorrect, but you could just you could just go to what matt to what he says in Matthew that if you look upon a woman with lustful intent you're already committing adultery. So you're already in sin. But what about masturbation? Like a lot of people aren't sure. Like masturbation is it mentioned in the Bible? Some people think it is. I don't really think that it is, but um, But what does God say about that? Like he doesn't say anything. Is it therefore okay? You know, I think, but he doesn't say anything. It might not be okay. We should know. But this is one thing that, that the Lord said to me one time, I was walking around a, a missions fest, a conference, and I just had this thought come in. He said, Matt, when I, when I made mankind, I said, let us make man in our image. And so, I felt like the Lord said, there's nothing that I do that's outside of intimacy with those that I'm one with. And I went, that is so profound that when he was making mankind, he didn't just say to the son and to the spirit, like, Hey, you guys stay over there. Don't even look. I'm just going to make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. What he did was he was setting the stage that my character is such that what I do, I do with those I'm in intimate relationship with. And Then he makes us and he says, you know, be attached to me, like be one with me. There's fruit that comes. You can do nothing apart from me, but with me, you can do anything. Masturbation falls outside of God's design because every single time that sex is mentioned in the Bible, any sexual activity in a positive light, it's between a man and a woman in context of marriage doing it together. So why does God not mention masturbation in the Bible? because he doesn't have to. If we know God's design for sex, what it is, we also then know what it isn't. And so if we know God's character, that everything he does, he does with those he's in intimate relationship with those he's in, he's one with. It's the same sexually. Any sexual activity has to be a man and a woman if it's going to honor God in the context of marriage. And masturbation falls outside of that. And so this isn't a message to to shame people. It's something that a lot of people, most people struggle with is masturbation. But what I say to people is it's an opportunity to get to know God on an even deeper level. Like if we're up at two in the morning and we're tempted or 11 at night, or it's it's in the morning, maybe, you know, one guy said to me recently, it's kind of like brushing my teeth. I just, every morning I brush my teeth. Every morning I go in the shower and I masturbate. Well, this is an opportunity in those moments To know God in a deeper level. And so God wants to expose, like, what's actually the desire in your heart? Like, are you looking for for recognition and you're not getting it? And so you have to escape into this activity. Is it just a habit where your brain isn't wired in the way that I want it wired? Well, let me come and help you rewire your brain. And so there's no shame in this stuff. But God's standard is fairly high. And I think that he wants us to meet it. So I hope that that answers your question a little bit.
0: No, actually, that hit right on the head. I was just curious, like, what the what the take is on that. That is a huge question that comes up, you know, because it, it's not in the Bible. Is it right? Is it wrong? And I think that that's a heck of a revelation. I hope many people take that home. Uh, I know that, you know, you think about, uh, you know, even with your wife um, and the, God's design for sex. And I, I had this uh I'll share one little piece and then I'll ask you the couple of questions and we'll, we'll close off today. We're, we're going, man. This has been a great, great episode. I love it. But, uh, um, one of the things that really hit me on the head the other day that I felt like God spoke to me and it was, we were thinking about, um, premarital sex and all these different things. And, um, you know, obviously I was a sinner, you know, when we had children out of wedlock everything else, I'm, I've only been, uh, you know, saved for four or five years now. Right. So I'm, I'm pretty fresh to all this stuff. Um, but one of the things that, that really hit me on the head and I hope the, the listeners can take this home, but premarital sex and pornography and all of those things are, are the foothold that the enemy needs in your life. And when you have premarital sex and because you've watched pornography what you've now effectively done is you've opened up for the guilt and the shame and the doubt within your head. And those are all things that aren't from God. So now, you know, if I can be bold in this, now you're saying I didn't last long enough. I wasn't good enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. How could I be better at this? All because of pornography and the fact that you did it outside of God's blessing now, if you save yourself for marriage, as as hard as that seems in this day and age, you know my wife and I actually took a, a we we prayed for God to restore our virginity. We prayed um, that He would renew us and cleanse us, and then we took a vow of celibacy for six months before our wedding. Oh, wow, cool! And I'll tell you that it was it worked. It was incredible because us being able to celebrate with each other on that night and conceive um you know to 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 be able to do that on our wedding night was yeah. blessed by God it was a union with God it was a um I've heard people describe it as a bloodletting right like in the old testament like that that's actually if that covenant goes to well, and yeah, that's yeah. a whole nother road but um yeah. that premarital sex and pornography open up the door for guilt and shame and doubt and all of those things. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Matt, it's a, this has been awesome. Uh, one thing If there's one thing that you want the listeners to take home today. What is that one, one thing that you just want them to know?
1: I mean, first what you just shared is, is that's huge. I'm going to, I'm going to start sharing that more too. It's it's the guilt and the shame that that opens up.
0: Yeah, makes you. It makes you. It's the start of not thinking you're good enough in a situation, in in a situation that God created that is supposed to be beautiful, and amazing, and intimate. It's it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be a wonderful thing, just like all of God's creation is. But because of not doing doing it outside of His blessing, now you've you've given the enemy a foothold to make it bad.
1: Well, wow, that's so good. It's so true. I mean, we're, we're made, we're made to honor God. We're made, we're made to bring him glory. And when we do that, we have the most peace and the most joy imaginable and it's so true what you said. So cool. If there's one thing that I can, that I can share, um, <laughs> maybe I'll share too. I was just having a meeting with the guy earlier this morning and he said, what could you, what would you say to your 19 year, 19 year old self? And I said, I would say get in the prayer closet more. I would say get to know God in, in prayer. Um, prioritize that and spend time with Him. But really what I'm what I'm leaning towards in the answer to your question is this has been a big message in my life this year since since about May. Is in Ephesians 5, it says to walk in the light, you expose the works of darkness. And it says that when we expose the works of darkness, that God illuminates that. And, he, and what was dark, now it's light. What he illuminates, now, now it's light. And then, just, then it says in scripture, shine your light before men. What was darkness, expose that. Get that out. If you feel shame about something in your life, go find somebody to talk to. If you feel stuck in an area in your life, Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's something totally different. If there's a desire that you have that's like it's keeping you stuck, it's not a good desire, get that out. Talk to somebody. What is keeping you bound needs to be exposed because God wants to set you free and doing that will set you free especially as you talk about it, the more and more you talk about it, start with one person, but then try to find a second, try to find a third. And if you have nobody pray and God will send people to you, but it's also a story that God can use to impact people. And so we just always think, man, I want to impact people. I want to feel significant. I want to do significant things in my life. Sometimes the most significant thing you'll do in your life is exposing darkness and then sharing, sharing that with people because you're sharing the grace of God on your life and they're going to be impacted by that. And so that's a big thing for us in our ministry is, is getting that stuff out. And so that would be maybe my last, last thing to mention here is if there's something keeping you stuck, just talk. Um, and I, I don't mean to give a plug, but maybe I will give a plug. One really mm-hmm. cool thing that we do in our ministry is it's called a cleansing hour. And we just sit on the other side of the computer with somebody and we just say, "Okay, you can be open. Like, like things that they've never shared with anybody, they come into a cleansing hour probably because they know that they'll never see me or whoever it is again. But but they feel confident and safe to get things off of their chest. And we give them a little bit of coaching and guidance on how to do that. So that's a really powerful thing. But if you don't do a cleansing hour, that's totally fine. You can just find somebody in your life to be open with.
0: Yeah. So I, I often say that, um, you know, whatever you have in the darkness, whatever you're shameful of, whatever is there, Jesus already knows let it go he already the the only person that really matters already knows that that's there if you think about what our true identity is and who we are you know the only person we have to impress and even and even then impress is the wrong word we don't have to impress him he loves us more than we could ever imagine the only person we have to live for is for god and and put put him first in our life and he already knows everything that's inside of us, every dark little secret, everything that we're hiding. He already knows, so you may as well let it go.
1: That's good stuff.
0: So, with that, now it's the time for the plug for sure. Tell people how can they get a hold of you? How can they uh, find out what you're doing?
1: Yeah, uh, restoredministries.ca is the website, Canadian website. So, restoredministries.ca. But there's people obviously from all over the world. So there's. There's different programs on there at the Get Help tab. You can see Pure Freedom Journey is the main one, uh, where there's group support and there's video training. Um, there's also one-on-one coaching available, though. There's cleansing hours. There's a boot camp that church groups do. We're not involved when people go through the boot camp, but it's eight eight videos, and men's groups can do it in their church. Women's groups can do it together in their church, and it's basically just same thing, like helping people get out of out of uh, sexual sin uh restored underscore community on instagram and there's a pure victory podcast that we run too i think i think now there's 86 episodes on there so there's a ton of stuff ton ton of resources that are free on the podcast and uh feel free to send a dm honestly some people like man you're too busy Uh, i love hearing from people on instagram when they send a message i i love just hearing their story and if you need to get something off your chest Send a DM, I'll answer and I'll I'll uh, I'll talk to you on there. So, thanks, Nick, for having me. This has been fun. I've loved it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, for all the listeners, check out Matt and uh, what restored community online or restored ministries, um, restored ministries online, restored community on Instagram. Um, yeah. Fastlifeministries.com, you know, support this episode. Uh, share it with people who might need to hear it. Like it, subscribe to it, all those fun things. Follow us. We appreciate all the listeners. God bless you, Matt. Thank you for being here. And for all the listeners, have a blessed day. Can't wait to see you next week. Thank you for listening to Faith in the Fast Life, brought to you by Fast Life Ministries. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate, like, and follow our podcast page so you can be the first to see new episodes every Wednesday. If there's someone who came to mind during the podcast, please send this to them. People like you sharing the show really helps us to get God's message out to a wider audience. Visit FastLifeMinistries.com to give to our podcast and keep us running. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.